In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem asking, Where is the child who has been born King of the Jews? For we have observed his star at its rising and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened and all Jerusalem with him, and calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophets, and you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers in Judah." For from you shall come a ruler who is to be shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the Magi and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word so that I may also go and pay him homage. When they had heard the king, they were sent out, and there ahead of them went the star that they uh, sorry, went ahead of that went the star that they had seen at its rising until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed by joy, with joy. And entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. Then opening their treasure chest, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. A word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So we have just come off of a major season of commercial giving. And I have a few questions for you. How many of you got exactly what you wanted for Christmas this year? Raise your hand. Some of you, okay. How many of you got more than you expected and you were a little uncomfortable by the generosity? How many of you opened a gift that you knew immediately you were going to re-gift or throw out or toss into that pile of unwanted Christmas coffee mugs and sweaters and tchotchkes that you've been keeping in the basement, but when you received it, you politely smiled at the gift giver and said, thank you, it's everything I ever wanted. How many of you bought something for someone and were surprised to learn that they didn't get you anything in return? How many of you searched high and low in the store or digital aisle to buy the perfect gift for someone only to learn that they already received one this year? How many of you lost sleep over what you purchased for that special someone or maybe what you had not yet purchased and didn't know to purchase for your special someone? How many of you were invited to a Christmas party this year and you forgot to bring a dish to pass and so all night long you were in knots as you watched other people gift food to the table? Giving and receiving gifts can be a little bit awkward at times, can't it? There are so many spoken and unspoken rules around it, and depending on what family or culture you're a part of, the rules around gift-giving are always just a little bit different. In my family, all five of my aunts, they get Christmas presents, little ones, every year for their nieces and nephews, and it is not expected that we get anything for them in return. But 
If we do not purchase a gift for grandma, that's a huge no-no. Even though she always forgets how many grandchildren she has, and she inadvertently misses at least one of us every year. Thankfully, it's not ever usually the same one. When I traveled to Morocco years ago, we were staying in a rural village at someone's house for a whole week. And before we got there, we were told that we were not to bring a gift to this family because it was the first time that we were meeting them. Our tour guide brought gifts. They brought uh, yogurt and nuts and other things because they knew the family well. But when we were hemming and hawing about what to buy, he told us not to because in Moroccan culture, to bring an unexpected gift to someone you don't know could make them feel very uncomfortable. And this was unusual to me, maybe to all of us in our American culture, because when we're invited to someone's house for the first time, even if just for a few hours, what do we do? We bring something to contribute, a bottle of wine, a side dish, a bowl of fruit, something. I'm sure that as you think about this, you can think of your own examples of times when our practices around gift giving have felt a little bit awkward or maybe unexpected. Well, we are in a season of the church right now called Epiphany. We mentioned it in our children's sermon last week, and it's a time when we celebrate the gifts of God that come to us in our everyday lives and in the world around us. It's a time in the church calendar between Christmas and Ash Wednesday when we are invited to look at different texts in the Bible, stories about Jesus' early life and ministry, and other texts too, two of which we read for this morning, that talk about how the source of all light and wisdom and mystery promises to come in the world and reside with us always. These stories, they're an opportunity. They invite our imaginations to believe that somehow the gifts of God show up They showed up in that world that we read about in the text, in the person of Jesus, in everyday places and people, and often in unexpected ways. And these stories, they invite us to imagine that maybe, just maybe, the gifts of God continue to do that. They continue to show up in our lives and in the world even today. But you know, I think this is a particularly difficult thing sometimes for us to believe, I think. With the state of the world's affairs, maybe some of our own personal affairs in our lives, maybe you've experienced a setback or a loss recently, maybe you've been turning on the news and you've been seeing one devastating weather report after another from Puerto Rico or Australia, another act of violence committed somewhere in our neighborhood or a community or someplace around the world. Maybe the state of the church has got you all anxious. It is hard, I admit, to imagine, let alone see, that God could be found almost anywhere right now. But all that said, it does make me wonder if it is in times like these when we might want to probe that belief a little bit, the belief that we have as Christ followers that God is somehow in the world and doing something. See, because if God is moving, if the God that we celebrated at Christmas time is one who comes to us in flesh and bone and chooses to be with us, Emmanuel, then where is God? And how do we know it or learn to see it for ourselves? 
Well, there's two details in the story of the three magi that I think give us some clues for where at least we might look in our search for God. These two details, they contribute to why this has been long one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture, which is why that even though this was the lectionary text for last week, we're making a comeback this week, and we're talking about it this week, because it's too important to miss. The first detail in the story that I think is helpful to us is exactly who these magi were. A lot of times we refer to them as the three kings or the three wise men. Well, I hate to break it to you, but in the original Greek language, Matthew doesn't actually tell us they were kings or men. And some of them could have actually been women, but they did turn out to be wise. These magi, they were Zoroastrian priests They were men and women, and they were a part of one of the oldest world religions called Zoroastrianism, which is still practiced today in parts of the Middle East, particularly in modern-day Iran. These magi, they earned an international reputation for being wise because they could interpret dreams, and they studied astrology, which to us sounds a little odd today, but at the time, this was regarded as a science. Following the star, it was kind of their thing. And they believed that they could do things like predict the movement of the divine or miraculous births by looking for signs and reading stars in the sky. Jesus, believe it or not, was likely not their first. These three priests, when we study who they might have been, they actually challenge many of our contemporary ideas, many of which we get instilled to us in the church, I think, of who and where and when we often expect God to show up in the world. These people, these magi, they weren't Christian. They weren't Jewish. They weren't a part of the Israelite community that God had covenanted to be in relationship with. If they studied anything, it was the skies. By our standards, they might be considered religious outsiders. They are depicted as strange characters in the story, which is why we get almost no information about them in the text. And, by our standards, they are ethnic foreigners who come from parts of the world that most of us in our politically polarized culture today can hardly even begin to talk about with each other without writhing in an extraordinary amount of discomfort. The movement of God comes to these magi. While they are on their own journeys, while they are seeking their own wisdom, and in ways that most of us aren't actually taught to expect and may even find uncomfortable. Now, the second detail in the story that I find fascinating and that I think often gets lost in all the Christmas lore when we tell it is that when the Magi see the star and receive the message that a new king has been born, they actually don't follow the star at first and go to Bethlehem where Jesus was. It's almost as if they think their GPS is wrong and they need to navigate their own way. And so what do they do first? They go to Jerusalem. They go to where the current king is living and governing the people they believe on behalf of God. They go to the center of all cultural and political and religious life, their universe at that time, because they assume that, of course, a new king or savior would have to be there in the seat of power, 
It was probably hard to imagine that any saving work that amounted to anything could show up anywhere else at that time. And they were surprised to learn, along with Herod, who was also especially concerned, that the gifts of God actually started showing up in all sorts of other places, outside of the boundaries they had created. And I think this compels us to wonder for ourselves. An important question. If God so often shows up in unexpected ways, and in ways that often catch us off guard, where do we often expect God to show up? And what might that reveal about who we are? I think if we're honest with ourselves, we'd have to say that our answers for where we might expect God to show up aren't all that much different from where the Magi guessed God would be. So often, we like to claim that God is near when we receive good news or when we experience success or our loved ones are doing well. We like to think that somehow this must be a reflection of who God is and the movement of God in our lives. We are tempted, even told in our culture, to think that people like politicians and pastors and leaders with authority, just by the nature of their position, somehow represent the movement or wisdom of God in ways that others can't, and so we should all just pledge allegiance to their cause. We want God to show up in things like certainty, in military victory, in nice, neat answers to life and faith, in worship that reflects our values and our beliefs and our preferences, in people that look and think like we do. We want God to show up in our endless striving for security and purpose and to make a name for ourselves. We want to believe that God shows up in healing and in ways and in places where our lives are made better at least by our human standards. And you know, maybe sometimes God does. But at least in this story, and in so many of the ones we find in the text, they suggest that God more often shows up in the places and people we don't expect or may even prefer. I wonder if our inability to see God in anything that doesn't suit our needs actually brings into sharp focus a difficult truth about ourselves and our lives, even our worship, that most of us struggle to name. The God actually maybe isn't our focus at all. We are. And I wonder if this is why we so often miss where God is moving. What if sometimes we struggle to see the gifts of God in our lives, not because the painful realities of life mean that God is absent, but because it's hard for us to accept that maybe God is active in the places we don't want to be, in the places we fear, in the spaces that threaten our desire for security or power or advantage, in the people who make us uncomfortable or leave us feeling vulnerable, in the places that we think we don't have time for or are too good for or don't need? What if the problem isn't that God isn't showing up, but that we haven't learned how to tune our eyes and our ears and our hearts to the places that God cares about? 
to become aware and open. We haven't learned to look for God at the places that don't put us at the center. In that honest, uncomfortable conversation we have with someone who's very different from us in an effort to better understand them. Or in the support that comes after a tragedy. In the spaces where human need are met by courage and neighborliness and a willingness to risk ourselves for the sake of someone else. In the forgiveness we extend to someone who's deeply wounded us or in the humility it takes to get real about the ways that we have wounded someone else. In stillness. In the midst of our overscheduled and super busy lives that make us feel better and more important and distracted, do we really want to put that down? What if the gifts of God are showing up, waiting for us in those spaces and at those times, but we miss it because we're too focused on ourselves? It takes a kind of intentional retraining, I think, a retraining of our hearts and our minds and our lives to learn to see the places where God is moving, in part because it involves a process of decentering ourselves from our universe and the universe. In many ways, this is what we do when we come to worship together, why we're invited every week to take personal responsibility in our spiritual lives and do things like pray. Or read something that inspires us. When we worship, we engage in practices that continually teach us how to decenter ourselves, to learn to worship something other than us, so that we might actually learn to see the gifts of God where they're showing up, and so that we might know how to respond to God's call on our lives and to participate in the work God is trying to do in the world. In this season of Epiphany, we are reminded that the gifts of God often come to us in the unexpected, in unexpected people, in unexpected places, and we need to learn to cultivate an awareness and an openness to it. So over the next few weeks, as we gather together and as we look at these stories in Scripture, we're going to talk about some of those places where we don't often think to look. Maybe we don't want to look for the gifts of God. They may not always seem like gifts to us. I promise you that at times when we speak over the next few weeks, these places will certainly make us feel a little uncomfortable. But for those of us who choose courage, my prayer is that as we explore these places, in a season when the people of God proclaim that God has come and is doing something new, I pray that we might experience that newness in our own hearts and in our own lives and we might finally see where God might be trying to move us. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we confess that we want to see you We want to know you. We want to know and have confidence that you are in us and with us and for us. But God, we confess that so often we do it on our terms. 
God, we don't always look for the places where you are moving that we don't want to go. We have strict parameters and boundaries and guidelines for where we think your spirit moves and shows up and does something new. And God, we ask that in the season of Epiphany, when you remind us that you are always coming into the world and asking us to open ourselves up so that you might do something new, God, that you might do it in us. Today, and as we continue to seek after you, God, that you might surprise us in all the places you show up if we just open our eyes and avail ourselves to it. In all these things, we pray in Jesus' name. And God's people said together, amen.